I mean, am I the only Rockies fan that has never heard of Jonathan Daza until this season? Yes. Like, I he was totally not on my radar. I have I have no idea who this guy is. You're listening to Affected by Altitude, a Purple Row podcast for and by Rockies fans. Welcome back, everybody. This is Sam Bradfield, your host of Affected by Altitude. I'm joined once again by Ben Kuchnerkovich. Hi, Ben. How are you? I'm doing well, especially after we finally got a Rockies win today. I know. I've gone 0 for 3 in recaps, so I'm finally excited to cover a victory and also the Marquez near no-no. So that was a... And, of course, Nolan hit his first home run. So that was super exciting. Yeah, it was. Um, so let's take a look at the a recap of the season so far. Uh, we'll start by looking at our first road trip of the season. Uh, it started off fairly well in Miami, won the first two games of the season, dropped the next two, then lost the first two in Tampa. Then Chris Iannetta salvaged things with a go-ahead home run in the 11th inning. So that was a three and four road trip. Did you have any reflections on that road trip, Sam? I mean, I thought it was fine, you know, three and four to start the season, especially in Florida, where the Rockies historically have not done very well for whatever reason, um, I think was, you know, serviceable. It wasn't nothing super to complain about at that point. Um, Unfortunately, then we came up against the Dodgers, who have just been absolutely killing everybody until they ran up against St. Louis and Milwaukee um, and have subsequently lost six in a row. Yeah, and... It was it was nice to finally get on Sunday night baseball. It's it's just unfortunate the result was a brutal loss and Charlie Blackman dropping some routine fly balls out there in right field. So maybe I don't know if you have an opinion on the LED lights. Um, that's a new installation at Coors Field over this off season. Do you think that might have played a role in Charlie Blackman's misfortune out there? I mean, it it could have. I think some of it is, you know, him still kind of learning the position and learning, you know, how the ball moves and everything like that. They always talk about, you know, in center field, it's it's a harder position to play just because of the sheer amount of ground he has to cover. But the ball comes off the bat pretty true, whereas in left and right field, it tends to move a little bit more. So I think a little bit more of that might have come into play. Some of it might have been the lights, but I think some of it also is still just kind of learning on the fly. Uh, No pun intended there. So we'll kind of see what happens as the season goes on, but I think, I think we're going to be fine. And Ian Desmond, well, we saw in that Miami series, he made a terrific catch at the wall, leaping to rob a home run. And he's made a couple of other great catches. He had a great diving catch today um, to rob Gerardo Parra of a hit, Uh, but he's also struggled a little bit out there. I looked at his defensive run saved and it's at zero. So he hasn't been bad. Hasn't been great. Um, Is there anything you've seen from Desmond? Not a whole lot. I mean, yeah, like you said, he's had a couple of really great saves and a couple, you know, been kind of all over the place. I think he's obviously more comfortable in center field than he was at first base. So that's at least good to see. Um, We'll kind of see how he shakes out from there. So then after getting swept by the Dodgers, uh, first two games against the Atlanta Braves at Coors Field also resulted in losses. And it was it was kind of a relief for me, honestly, that that game was snowed out on Wednesday. Um, Blizzard hit Denver, and uh, but it meant that the Rockies uh, didn't have to lose again. But they're 0-5 at Coors Field to start the year. Uh, do you want to talk about the road trip that we've seen for the Rockies getting off to their start in San Francisco? 
Yeah, I mean, for whatever reason, Coors Field so far has not been great. But I think some of that is, again, just going up against the Dodgers and going up against the Braves, who are kind of sneaky good also. And just, you know, getting off on the getting off on the wrong foot. And then, of course, going to San Francisco and getting, you know, and losing and then having that 18 inning marathon where nothing seemed to really go right. They finally got their lead and then they just it just went downhill from there. Everybody was in the booth, you know, for five hours and 35 minutes. Not me this time, but man, I got home from the Diamondbacks game and turned on the Rockies game and it was like the eighth inning. And I think I stayed up until the 14th um, and just fell asleep and woke up and was like, oh, geez. And then saw everybody saying, oh, man, I can't believe what happened. They lose it in this ridiculous way. And so I had to take a little bit of time to figure out what exactly happened. Um, and yeah, poor Chris Iannetta, just, you know, one of those things. And then coming off of that into a day game the next day definitely did not help them on Saturday. Um, but then today Marquez came out through brilliantly, you know, the almost no hitter that was broken up by Evan Longoria in the eighth inning and just one of those darn it moments. <laughs> and then Nolan got his first home run. I mean, it wasn't just the end of the end of a losing streak, it was like the best way to end a losing streak, <laughs> if you will. I mean, they didn't have any base runners after that home run until Tapia reached uh, in the well eighth inning or ninth inning. Um, so after that, it was a little worrisome, but they got four walks today, which was something that they combined for in their last three games. And they were just, they had better situational at bats and everything seemed to be better i think they hit rock bottom yesterday um and seemed to be digging themselves out yeah and i really i really liked seeing the passion from nolan arenado throughout the san francisco series um he got real he really i felt like released a lot of tension on saturday when there was that awful strike three call from the home plate umpire it was it's it's one of the worst calls i've ever seen and nolan had every right to be upset and like threw his bat down and I feel like a player would normally get ejected. So maybe the home plate umpire kind of realized he screwed up and that's kind of why he let Nolan uh, go after it a little bit. Um, and then once that hit got through to end the no hitter for Marcus today, um, Arenado just was really pumped up and like it, there's no way anybody can get to that baseball, but Arenado has such high expectations for himself that he had such energy. Um, so yeah, now the Rockies are going to head to San Diego. It's Jackie Robinson Day today, so that's always a great day to watch baseball um, and celebrate uh, one of the pioneers of our game. And also, not sure who exactly is going to get the start tonight. Uh, no one is scheduled at the time of this recording, but Antonio Sanzatella was evidently in the clubhouse with the Rockies on Sunday, so perhaps it could be him. Yeah, I'm assuming it'll be Senzatella. Uh, he threw a couple of innings the other day with the isotopes and they kept him, I believe, to 22 pitches. Um, and then Jeff Hoffman came in and threw like four innings um, after that. So I'm assuming uh, initially it was supposed to be Hoffman on Wednesday, but obviously that got snowed out. So they pushed it back and um, sent him back to Albuquerque. So with the extended outing he had after Senzatella, I'm assuming that he'll come up um, and pitch that spot and then they'll, you know, bring in Hoffman later if necessary. But, um, Senzatella, I think is the more viable option 
long-term for Anderson's, my Anderson's spot until he gets better. View from the party deck. Alrighty. Speaking of no hitters in this exciting road trip, we are now bringing on uh, Eric Garcia McKinley. He's going to join us. We're going to talk about, he had an article about a year ago, actually, that talked about the Rockies and their history of no hitters and one hitters and slow starting teams. So thanks for joining us, Eric. Hey, how are you guys doing? So Eric, last year you wrote an article, um, actually in July, called Will a Padres pitcher throw a no-hitter before a Rockies pitcher throws a one-hitter? So talk to us a little bit about that. The one-hitter came first. Yeah, so this is pretty exciting for me that Herman Marquez threw the Rockies' first complete game no-hitter. This has always been sort of like a... This has been a, one of those one of those quirky things that you would expect that a team would have, you know, a team that has thrown a no hitter in this history should probably also have thrown a complete game one hitter at some point. But what's so interesting to me about this is that, well, especially like for, think back to like when Ubaldo had his had his no hitter. Um, he like walked six guys. He had over 120 pitches. And it's like if he had given up a hit, he wouldn't have finished that game. I mean, he was he was ready to be taken out as soon as he like gave up a hit. So the idea here or like what, what made this so interesting to me is that in a way you could think that the no hitter is the harder thing to do and the greater accomplishment than a one hitter. You know, it's just one hit, but, you know, it is the it is the greater accomplishment. One hitters don't really get celebrated. Nobody like nobody gets a dog pile for a one hitter. Um, so it's a harder thing. It's a greater accomplishment, but at the same time, it felt like maybe the one hitter was a harder thing to get just because if you've given up that hit, you're not going to finish the game. So I, you know, yeah, like you said, in last July, I did a little bit of research and like looked at the sheer number of complete game one hitters complete compared to a complete game, no hitters. And, you know, the one hitters have it. So in that way, in 947 since 1908, and this was from um, at least through July 9th, 2018. And at that point, there was 227 complete game no hitters. So, you know, historically, there's going to be you'd think that there was going to be a one hitter first. But a lot of those came with like a different environment. Guys were left out there much longer um, to just like get those one hitters different environment now. If you give up a hit, you're basically out. Um, the other complicating factor with that is that uh, <laughs> guys are also just being taken out even if they have a no hitter. So, so that was one of these things where like, okay, well, well, maybe not because like, for instance, um, you know, a couple of years ago when Ross Stripling made his major league debut, he took a no hitter into like the seventh or eighth, but Dave Roberts took him out even when he had a a no hitter going. So this is one of those like quirky things about Rockies history that they'd never had a complete game one hitter, even though they've had a complete game no hitter that I can no longer cite because Herman Marquez and by God, I thought he was going to get it, but he didn't. He ended up with a complete game one hitter. Fun times. And I would actually argue because Edwin Jackson for the Rays back in 2010 had a no hitter, but he walked eight batters and he threw 149 pitches. So I would actually argue that Herman Marcus today had a more impressive outing than Edwin Jackson did. 
Oh, 100 yeah. percent. Like, I think like I mean, if you look at like game score, like if you look at game score, I think the 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 best pitched game of all time was like what Kerry Woods 20 strikeout game where he gave up a hit. And so like that, the, the, apparently the best pitched game of all time might have even been a one hitter itself. So, yeah. Yeah. But like in these days, like there's no way a pitcher's throwing 149 pitches, like especially if you walked eight guys and you're working on a no hitter in the eighth inning and you have 140 pitches like uh, I just don't see it. The game's a little different now. Treat, uh, pitchers are treated differently. Well, and even today, you know, Marquez only threw 105 pitches and he did not walk a single batter. His first base runner was a hit by pitch. So I almost think that that could be comparatively, you know, up there with even Ubaldo's, you know, no hitter of walking six batters. But by gosh, it was a no hitter. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I think this is definitely a better pitch game um, than Ubaldo's no hitter. Um, despite that hit, I, I haven't seen the game score come out. But I'll look at I mean, I mean, I guess baseball reference will have it tomorrow. But like, no doubt, no doubt it was higher than Ubaldo's. Well, even then he struck out nine guys today and. 75 of his pitches of the 105 were strikes. So yeah, it it was, it was yeah. impressive. I was, I was blown away. Yeah. I, 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 I thought he was, he was too. I, I thought he was going to get it. He just, man, he had it. He looked just flat out unhittable. I, and poor uh, Nolan, I, I you know, it just squeaked it. past him and, oh, he was so mad. I know. <laughs> I know, I know. And hey, hey Ben, I got to ask you because <laughs> so in the middle of the game, like this is standard practice here at Purple Row, a pitcher um, goes six innings with a no hitter. We start a live blog. We got to get that out there. People are going to pay attention to it. People want to have this information. And as a side bonus, like if it ever if it happens, you know, we're going to have like a no hitter story published like a second afterwards. So but what happened and you were handling tweets during this game, what happened is that it auto tweeted out. And of course, the uh, the uh, the headline was, you know, Herman Marquez working on a no hitter through six innings. And then you got just slammed in the mentions because you were handling the account today. How how did how did that feel? The first tweet that came in was what is wrong with you? Then the second tweet that came in was just dot, dot, dot. And I was like, what did I do? What did I tweet? Because um, I had talked about Marcus earlier in the game just saying that he was dealing or something like that. And then I looked and that auto tweet was out there that um, he was throwing the no hitter. And um, if I were, I mean, it's it's there's a reason that I hadn't said there's a no hitter going on because it's just not something I... Maybe it's just because I don't want to face the backlash that I don't do it. But um, it's not something I would personally do. But I mean... PDP tweeted back um, something, an article about Vin Scully, who also doesn't believe in jinxes. And that really, I thought, yeah. was a good article because um, I don't really think it does matter if someone may, uh, acknowledges that a no-hitter is going on. I certainly don't think that that's why um, it didn't transpire today. Yeah, I, re I remember when Clayton Kershaw threw the no-hitter against the Rockies. I mean, yeah, he was... He was talking it up, Vin Scully, and that was, I mean, that was just, and you, you just knew he was going to do it, like watching that game. It, it had the same feeling, but of course, yeah, it's just like if that ball had gone a couple inches to the left for Nolan, oh man, yeah. Nolan just needs to grow a few inches. <laughs> I know. This, why didn't he have a bigger glove today? 
Yeah, Come get, on. You know, if DJ was playing third. Think about Just get your one teammates. of those giant ones that you see people with in the stands that you just always watch and you're like, really? You're that guy? <laughs> Nolan could have been that guy yeah. today. Just, yeah. Yeah. Nolan. So, but on the on the downswing of that, unfortunately, now the Rockies won today, which means their record is a whopping four and twelve through through sixteen games. So yeah. they might get the uh, first pick in the NFL draft next year uh, with that record. Oh, <laughs> so, <laughs> football yeah, right. talk! So uh, actually, the Cardinals were three and thirteen last year with the first pick. So they maybe they maybe they'll be the second pick. Anyway, back to baseball. Eric, you did again some research on how how bad is this start? We're starting to get into not necessarily it's just a slow start. Give it time. Give it time. This is kind of a historically not so great start for the Rockies. You've been working on a piece about that. Tell us. Yeah. So I, I mean, yeah. I mean, like on the one hand, like it's early. I get it. But on the other hand, when is it no longer early? And I guess that's my question. When is it no longer early? Is it when the Rockies start to win and they get closer to 500? And then is it no longer early? Or is it, you know, is there, there's no there's no magical number of games that delineates early from not early. So without that information, what I thought what I always like to do is just like, OK, well, what has happened before? Like we have like all of these records using like um, all of these records of you know how teams have started, whether or not they've made the postseason, going back you know for basically all of Major League Baseball's history. So we can look at that. You know, has there has has a playoff team ever started with this record and made the postseason? And so my my boundary here or my threshold was, or my, actually my era was the wild card wild card era. So easier to make the postseason in the wild card era. So I looked at that. So my question was, what were the worst starts for a playoff team in every year since 1995, which encompasses the playoff era? The Rockies right now are four and 12. The worst start over 16 games for a team that eventually made the postseason is five and 11. And that happened, I think, four times. 2000, the Giants. 2001, Oakland. 2007, Philadelphia. 2009, the Colorado Rockies. And that's all. That's the list. Um, so it seems like there's not the, 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 the things are not in the Rockies' favor, at the very least. They've dug themselves a hole. Um, and they've created a situation where there's little margin for error. Um, and to put this into further context, another thing that I looked at in order to understand, like, how bad is this right now with the Rockies starting four and 12 after 16 games, they need to go if, okay, first, let me ask you guys a question. Um, how many wins do you think it's going to take in order to make the postseason in the national league this season? Like for any team, like what is what is the like the second wild card team? How many wins do they have to? How many wins do you think that they'll have? The second wild card team. Ninety one. Ninety one uh, wins. I'll say eighty seven. Eighty seven. OK, OK. Um, so if if it's ninety one, 
the Rockies would need to go 87 and 59 for the rest of the season. Um, and that is about uh, 590-ish win percentage. In other words, uh, a team that over the course of 162 games wins 96 games. So 96 team, 96 win team. If it's 87, the Rockies would need to go 83 and 63. So 20 games above 500 for the rest of the season. And so looking at that and thinking about it that way, to me, it's like, oh, this is kind of bad. I mean, it's a little early, but it's not that early. And so it's feeling kind of bad for me right now. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's definitely bad. It's certainly not the start that we all wanted to see. But I'm still a bit of a believer that it is early. We're about a tenth of the way through the season. There's still, you know, five months left-ish. So, I don't know. I It's bad, but I still think, give it till about Memorial Day, and we'll see if it's really, really that bad, or if it's just a slow start. And I mean, even, you know, looking historically at some of the teams, you know, is it better to start off really hot in April, you know, like the Diamondbacks did last year, or like the Dodgers have this year, and then hit a slump in August and September, like the Diamondbacks did last year? Or is it better to start off slow, like the Rockies currently are, and then get super duper hot in August and September down the stretch? Well, yeah, I mean, well, that brings me to like, yeah. And then, so, so in a way that, you know, wait, it seems really what you're asking is it's almost like, I I mean, these are like all these um, starts to the season that I just pointed out. These are all at the very beginning of the season, but you know, of course, like that's not the only stretch of games that every teams play. Um, So like if a, say a playoff team starts eight and eight, and that was like the worst, um, that was the worst record for 1999 postseason teams after 16 games. That doesn't mean that they didn't have a 16 game stretch that was terrible, such as four and 12. So, okay. So this, this, so you guys do, do you both have this list of, uh, best, uh, the bad start playoff teams on the spreadsheet that I gave you? Uh, yes. I can look it up. Give me a second. Okay. So in the spirit of fairness and in the spirit of not focusing too much on just the first 16 games of the season, um, and I, I've only done this like twice, it's too much work to do this for all of the teams. Um, I'll just put that out there. Um, so pick, pick one of these teams in one of these years And I'll look to see not just the first 16 games, what their worst stretch of 16 games was in um, throughout the entire season. Or, in fact, we can do this for any playoff team since 1995. Um, Pick one. I'll look it up. Let's see if they've had a stretch uh, worse than the Rockies 4 and 12. Any playoff team, not even one that's on the list. Yeah, just any any playoff team since 1995. How about the 2011 Detroit Tigers? Okay. 2011. Because I don't Tigers. think they started off that great. 
let's see. Um, any streak. The 2011 Detroit Tigers, their worst stretch in the entire season of 16 games was 6-10. and 10. Okay. So better than the Rockies right uh, now. Give me another one. Hit me with one, Sam. The 07 Arizona Diamondbacks. The 2007 D-backs, who famously finished with a negative run <laughs> differential and still won the division. Their worst, ah, their worst stretch in that um, that year was 4-12. and 12. So the Rockies, what the Rockies have right now. But remember, they had a negative run differential, so they were actually bad. Well, that could happen <laughs> to the Rockies too. But. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, let's let give me give me another one. Uh, how about did the two thousand two A's have a bad stretch in there? The two thousand two. Athletics because they had that 20 game win streak, but I thought that it wasn't always all that great. Ah, the 2002 A's, their worst stretch was three and 13, May, which is worse than the Rockies right now. So, May 2nd to May 19th, the A's were three and 13. So, there you have it. There is, there is a the argument. There's the lie of my fun fact that I started with. Rockies just need to go on a 20 game win streak. That's all they need. Yeah, that's it. That's it. We got one. We started with one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 19, 19 more. 19 more to go. Okay, and here here's the last um here's the last thing I want to look up. I haven't I haven't actually looked this up yet. So I said I mentioned that so the Rockies now have uh 146 games left. And let's let's say let's say 90 wins is the threshold to make the postseason. Let's say it's 90. So the Rockies need to go 86 and 60 the rest of the way in order to reach 90 wins. So my question is, have the Rockies ever had a stretch of 146 games in a single season in which they won? 86 games. So, so what's the best 146 game stretch in Rockies history? And what, what, why don't you guess? Do you, yes or no? Have the Rockies ever won 86 games in a span of 146 in a single season? What do you, what do you think? Are you saying, are you going to say yes or no? I say yes. I can imagine they did, especially in one of those postseason years. Um, yeah, they, I, I would say yeah, um, and it would probably would be in the 07 to 09 time frame as opposed to the last couple seasons. All right, so here it is. the The answer is yes. The best stretch over 146 games that the Rockies have ever had is 87 and 59. Just barely made it. Just barely made it. Um, and they done that. They did that in a uh, couple stretches in 2009. Okay, um, that's kind of what then, I was thinking. Yep. And then also, also in 2009. Yeah, this is it's all from 2009. Mm -hmm. So, in order, in order the, for the Rockies to get that 90, 91 win threshold, 
they're going to have to play basically the best stretch of 146 games that they've ever played. That's not all that encouraging, but that is actually that is really interesting. And I that's yeah, it is really interesting. It's simultaneously encouraging and discouraging to me. <laughs> it's like, well, it can be done because they've done it. They've done it like once <laughs> in 2009. But hey, there's um, there's the there's there's the silver lining in my in my dark cloud. And I mean, I certainly don't think the Rockies lack confidence. Um, you hear them talk after their games about how they they seem pretty sure that they're going to put it together. Well. That's Eric Garcia McKinley. Thanks so much for joining us, Eric. And we look forward to talking to you more in the future. Yeah, thanks. This is great. Thanks. Fill in the blank. All right. Nick, Adam, and Sam are going to play with us today. Uh, we'll start with our first fill in the blank, and that is going to be watching the Rockies right now is blank. Adam? Uh, watching the Rockies right now is unbearable. Um, I made a mistake on Saturday. I didn't realize it was an afternoon game. I thought it was an evening game. And uh, I, when I realized my mistake, I, I wasn't all that disappointed. Uh Especially when I turned it on and realized that they were already down uh, two to nothing or three to nothing or something like that, and I was like, "Yeah, uh, I, I'm, I I don't miss that I'm working on something right now and can't watch the game," um, which doesn't really happen often. Uh, it's like you know, Sunday's game with Herman uh, Marquez taking a taking a no hitter into the eighth. Uh, that was different, uh, but otherwise, it's just. It's hard to work up the energy to want to turn on and watch a Rockies game right now. What about you, Nick? All right, so watching the Rockies game right now is like having an evening with Ramsey Bolton. Um, For those of you that have seen Game of Thrones, it's the uh, premiere tonight of uh, Season 8. Ramsey Bolton tortures people, and that's how I feel every time I watch a Rockies game right now. I'm being physically psychologically and emotionally tortured. This is brutal, brutal to watch. Um, and it's so hard in baseball too, because they play every day. So it's like in football, you know, they play, you know, you, you watch the game on Sunday, they have a bad game. Everybody overanalyzes it to death for a week, but there's still this sort of sense like, okay, coming up might be something different on Sunday. Baseball, it's this grind, this daily grind that just like eats away at your soul when your team is losing. And it's so like nothing gets me more depressed than when the Rockies are in losing streaks. It's been really tough on and me, cra- to be honest. Crazy if thing- anyone knows a good therapist, I could use one. The crazy thing is when it's the reverse, like when it, your team's winning, you literally can't wait for another game. Like you hate that there's a day off. Uh, yeah, it's one of the beautiful things about baseball, too, is those like highs and lows. I mean, when it's when it's going well, there's nothing more fun. Every day you're getting a little jolt, like you said, a little, a little something you know, positive at night or whatever, something fun to watch. But right now it's absolutely brutal. Um, and you know, f- you know, fortunately we're recording this on Sunday after uh, Marcus's great outing, um, his his one hitter that he just threw, and that was 
awesome to see. And even just that little glimmer of hope, I'm already feeling like way more optimistic. I'm coming in pretty hot to the podcast today because I'm already just that. That was enough to kind of get me going. For me, watching the Rockies has been, I'd say, challenging um, for a number of reasons. A, because some of their games have been the middle of my workday, so I haven't been able to watch. But just uh, purely from a, a fan standpoint, I it's been a challenge. I'm trying not to get super excited when they do really well, but also not trying to dive into the depths of Rocky's Twitter and going, ah, oh, this team sucks, blow it up, let's start over. Let's call up all the isotopes. Let's just start this thing from ground zero. No, I'm not. I'm not there yet. <laughs> In fairness, that's Rocky's Twitter, even when they're like 20 games above 500. It's true. So. It's true. But, like, <laughs> if you, if you get too deep into Rocky's Twitter uh, during the season, there's times last year, like, uh, my life situation took me away from Twitter a lot last year. Like, I just wasn't around. But when I got in there, I was like, man, is this like the worst team? in franchise history or is right? this like, That's how yeah. I feel, like all the time. History. So. No, they were the worst team in baseball last year, according to Rocky's Twitter. <laughs> Love you, Rocky's hey. Twitter, but let's, <laughs> let's all take some Pepto-Bismol or I mean, yeah, something. you get on Rocky's Twitter and you, Xanax. Can't, you can't stay there for more than like 30 seconds. Sometimes it's, it's enjoyable, but you get scrolling down and after a while you're just like, oh, good Lord. Um, and, you know, and maybe I have a, a bit of a different perspective because I spent a lot of time last year um, in the press box and around the team. And I've kind of gotten to know the ins and outs of being, you know, represented in the media. And so just I've gotten to know a lot of these guys on a personal level and just trying not to get as invested emotionally because I know what some of them are going through and I know kind of what's going on. So it's been it's been challenging just understanding and watching and trying not to get too high or too low. Um, or injured like too low. So, <laughs> well, Sam, that very reasonable position you just put forward has no business on Twitter. Sorry, <laughs> that's why I don't tweet like ever. <laughs> Rule number one of Twitter: What has it been? Uh, don't tweet. That's right. <laughs> so I guess that this might affect your guys's uh, standings in the Twitter tourney for 2020. I wasn't even in the Twitter tourney this year. I, I've never gotten a good five twelve matchup, so I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> for our next question, for our next fill in the blank, the biggest surprise of the season so far has been blank. Sam, let's start with you. I think the biggest surprise to me has just been the injury bug and how it's taken a toll on this team. I mean, we've talked about a lot about how they're four and 12. I really think a lot of that has been because they've been so injured. I mean, usually you expect maybe one or two guys to get injured, but it seems like half of their starting lineup, half the starting rotation is on the injured list. Um, you know, we're calling up Josh Fuentes. We're calling up Jonathan Daza. We're calling up all these other guys where I wouldn't be surprised if we see Peter Lambert or Ryan Castellani sometime soon, which is <laughs> kind of, yeah, I think the, the biggest surprise has just been the amount the sheer amount of injuries and how it's affected this team, uh, like offensively and pitching wise. So what do you guys think? I mean, am I the only Rockies fan that has never heard of Jonathan Daza? Until yes. Season? Like I, he was totally not on my radar. He hasn't, I have, I have no idea. He hasn't got the fanfare of Tapia or even Mike Talkman when he was here though. So I, I understand that kind of. Yeah, right. When he came up, I just like I had to look him up. I this was a guy that was just totally not on my radar. Um and and it seems like for good reason. Um 
the biggest surprise for the Rockies this year for me is the lack of home runs. Um, yeah. Arenado Blackman, Story, Desmond have five home runs combined. Story has four of those. So you're talking about one home run for Arenado, Blackman, and Desmond. That is atrocious. I mean, Desmond's been bad for a couple of years. We all know that, obviously. But Desmond still had some power numbers last year. I mean, that was the one like kind of decent thing about his season last year was he had, you know, whatever, 20 home runs or 22 home runs or whatever. 2020 guy. So for him to not have run into one, for Aaron Otto and Blackman to both have donuts uh, going into this game game today, Aaron Otto got one. But that to me has been shocking. And I, I think, you know, just a couple of lucky home runs here or there would have actually done a lot to help this current stretch. I mean, there's been, there's been some games where they just needed a tiny bit of offense. They just needed one lucky hit. They had, you know, um, a guy gets a walk. How about one home run following that? Like, Just something could have really, really swung things here in this last stretch. Or frankly, even just consecutive hits at all. I think it was the second Dodger game. They were talking on ATT Sportsnet. They had three hits and none of them were back to back. And that's just, that's just amazing to me. You know, um, I mean, today, you know, Arnauto walked and then Story hit a double. It wasn't, you know, a big, it wasn't a long ball, but it knocked him in. Yeah. I think for me, what I, what I was prepared to come in and say was uh, uh, Tony Walter's uh, slugger, power hitter. Um, <laughs> can, uh, and if you, I just double checked his, his stats and he hasn't, done well since they got to san francisco so it kind of puts a damper on that a little bit but um who do you guys know who leads the team in doubles i'm gonna guess it's tony walters (laughs) Uh, tony walters is tied with charlie blackman and ian desmond with three which is a pathetic number 15 games into the season uh but but still it's it's something that you know i've never expected like i've been joking for a long time about like uh you know Jordan Freemeyer and I would talk a lot about like, you know, Tony Walters versus Tom Murphy, who should they keep? And I made jokes about like, has Tony Walters even hit a big league home run? And he has six. So like, I'm, I'm not trying to disparage TFW, but, um, but I feel like I'm going to take a positive note on this. And I think the biggest surprise of the season so far for me uh, has been Tony Walters. I feel like he's been more than capable. Like he's, he's been able to nab a bunch of runners at second base trying to steal. Uh, he, he's done well defensively behind the plate calling games. Um, I think, I think you take out those five games against the Dodgers and Braves like the Really the, the pitching hasn't really, really been that much of a problem. Um, and, and since Tony's getting the bulk of the starts, which is part of the surprise too, I didn't realize he was going to be getting a bulk, you know, the bulk of the starts. Uh, that that's been a good surprise, and and you know, like I said, his numbers aren't quite as uh, shiny as they were a few games ago, but uh, but I'm pleasantly surprised by what I've seen from Tony Walters. Yeah, and let, lest we get too too excited here, like right now, MLB.com says his OPS is 5.26, so he's had a his his past few games have dragged that down a bit, but um, yeah, I think it's a defensible position to say any offense we get out of the catcher position is a bonus. Uh, I'm not sure it's the best position, but it's defensible if nothing else. And so if we do get, you know, a good season at Tony Walters, uh, 
even if it's just good for a catcher good. I, th I think that uh, it's not necessarily the key to the turnaround, but it is uh, going to help. The biggest disappointment so far this season has been blank. I think for me, looking at the biggest disappointments here, uh, I I think it's I think it's Kyle Freeland. I just um, and there's a reason I bring it up. It's I, I think if I were to really drill down, I think more th other things have been more disappointing, but. Um, but there's a lot of high hopes attached to Kyle coming into the season. Um, and, you know, coming off that fourth place Cy Young finish. And, I mean, he's he's rocking a 5-4-0 ERA. Uh, you know, he's got a, uh, you know, his FIP field independent pitching is, is much better. It's 4.48. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's... They're not Cy Young numbers, you know. He's he's walking more guys, like he's he's giving up a few more hits. Um, but I do feel like there's just a certain extent, like man, he's just he's just getting uh, getting bit by you know just just a lot of bad luck. Uh, and so like it's disappointing to watch him struggle out of the gate, um, especially considering last year, like that was uh, well not last year, but you know he had that streak of 15 straight games on allowing four or fewer runs. Like, I think if you go back to uh, late April, he had a bad start. Um, and, you know, he hasn't had a bad start since. Uh, so, so yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at. I, it's it's Kyle Freeland, but I say that with the, the understanding that, uh, you know, his, his strikeouts are up. Like, that's one thing that is up, um, you know, but he – that's kind of means that he's sacrificing some length. You know, he had a good start opening day, but, uh, but it's been kind of downhill from there. Yeah. I'm kind of with you there. Um, I mean, Freeland, like I, we kind of talked about him a little bit earlier. He hasn't been like God awful by any stretch of the imagination, but he's just not the Kyle Freeland that we expected him to be. And it's one of those things that, you know, when someone has a really good year, then you expect them to have to continue that and not necessarily take a step back or they're going to be better the next year and better and better and better. Um, whereas I think, you know, Kyle Freeland had such a great season last year that naturally he was going to come down to earth. And I think even a lot of that is just kind of in the stretch of this this four and 12 stretch here. Watching him struggle has not really helped um, make it better. It's just been one of those things where, I mean, yeah, he's got a 5-4-0 ERA. John Gray's got a 4-1-9. And um, Marquez is on here somewhere. Marquez has a 2-0-0, but he also had that really, really great game just right now. So I think, you know, Freeland and Gray have come down a little bit, which has definitely not helped. And I, yeah, I'm kind of with you there. Just watching, watching Kyle Freeland not be... I guess the God that he was last year has been a little bit surprising, but at the same time, not completely surprising to me, if that makes sense. Surprising, but not shocking, maybe. Yeah, kind of, exactly. Like I expected him to come down, but maybe not come down this much. Blank is the key to getting the season turned around. Sam, let's start with you. I, I talk about this a lot. I think, um, 
the biggest key to this there, well, there are two keys. I think one is getting Murphy and McMahon and Dahl and some of these injured guys, Tyler Anderson off the injured list. I think that's a huge part of why they're struggling right now is just purely because they're injured right now. And they lost, you know, Daniel Murphy and Ryan McMahon and David Dahl, who are their biggest, you know, big offensive guys, guys that they've signed to produce those big numbers. So I think losing them has been a struggle. And even um, like Mark Reynolds said on Saturday, just taking a step back. And I mean, I can't, I can't do this obviously for the Rockies, but like just them taking a step back and taking a breather and refocusing, I, you know, Reynolds talked about watching the masters for an extra 10 minutes instead of going and hitting in the cages for 10 minutes. And they talked about on the, on the show today, a lot about, you know, taking all the bats out of the batting cages and you're only allowed to be in there for like 10 minutes at a time, just like little things to stop thinking about baseball, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. And I think just, yeah, just take for them to take the step back and get their head out of the game for just 20 minutes, I think would really help kind of, kind of reset because you can tell a guy, you can tell, I tell kids this every day, you know, leave your worries at the door. When you're in my, when you're in my classroom, leave your worries at the door, play your instrument and everything, everything will help. But it's, it's hard to just kind of leave, leave everything at the door and focus on what you're doing, especially in a tough stretch like this. So I, yeah, I think not being injured and um, taking a step back for them would really, really help turn the season. Yeah. I'll just dovetail onto that, that, Sam. My, my key for turning things around is time. And that's basically uh, uh, the same thing that you just said is they need time to get healthy. Yeah. Um, they need time to get in, into a bit of a rhythm. I don't think, see, I, I think there's this sense in a, in a lot of Rockies fans that like the Rockies really have never been that good. I think a lot of people think like this team just isn't very good. They weren't very good last year. They weren't very good the year before that. The offense sucks. Like that's what everybody I hear a lot in the in the in the Twitter sphere, in the blogosphere. There's this just constant pessimism or um uh, yeah, just yeah, just this idea that they've been playing over their head for the last two years. And I do not believe that. I believe what we've been seeing is a team growing. I, I think we've been seeing a young team getting better with each season, not a fluky team that fluked their way into almost winning the division last year. I don't, I don't think in baseball you fluke your way through 162 games. Um, I think this is a good team and I think this is still a good team. They're, they're more or less the same team they were last year that won 91 games. There's no reason that they should have this enormous drop off this year, unless they get substantially worse play from key players. Like if Freeland continues to play, the way that he has, as you guys mentioned, or if Blackman continues the way to play the way that he has, if we see nobody step up and get any better, we see Arenado have a bad year, then yeah, maybe things will continue the way they are. But I really think that's, that's really unlikely. Um, I think we're seeing a, a kind of perfect storm of things. They started off in Florida where they always suck. They got injured right, right during that, um, that road trip, they come back to play the smoking hot Dodgers who take it to them. And now the season's a train wreck. It's like you, you, they were off the rails right from the beginning and it's going to take some time and some effort to get, to get back in. And I think, I think everybody in, in the Rockies fandom just needs to take a deep breath. Remember it's a long season and give this team some time to prove what they, what they really are. I mean, if this year, you know, if they do end end up with, you know, 80 wins or 75 wins or something, then I think we have to take a serious look at who this team is. But I, I still I still think we're going to see them right in the middle of the playoff hunt by the end of the year. Yeah, I think 
perspective is a good thing to call right now, uh, or to call for. I think, uh, I think three and 12, well now four and 12, that's a bad stretch of baseball. Like no one likes winning four games out of 16. That's hard. Um, but I, I think it's also good to keep in mind that, you know, last year the Rockies won 91 games and they went 11 and 16 in June. Uh, and the year before they had a similarly bad June and they won 87 games. Uh, I think a lot mm-hmm. of it's just kind of magnified right now because it's the beginning of the season. And so, so the call for perspective is, is absolutely right on target. You know, people are bringing up these stats, you know, they're talking about some of these other teams, but they're saying like, Oh, you know, there's no playoff team that started this and never, you know, the, you know, made the playoffs the following year, stuff like that. And it's like, well, I, well, I understand that history. There's a certain sense of like, has no playoff team ever had a four and 16 stretch. Uh, I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. It's just magnified when it's the beginning of the season. Uh, personally though, I look at it and I say the key to turning around the season Key to turn around the season is getting uh, Daniel Murphy healthy because the Rockies offense has scored 2.3 runs per game going into today. So that, that number went up uh, with the 4 to nothing win, but 2.3 runs per game without Daniel Murphy. And they scored six runs per game with Daniel Murphy. So, uh, you know. Even though he didn't have a hit in those games. but Nick, you're stepping <laughs> on my point. Sorry. Um. Come on, man. No, but <laughs> that really just gets to, to the larger point of the thing that's just sucking down the Rockies right now. <laughs> kind of like, you know, piggybacking off what Sam said is, you know, they're running out like a third of a lineup that's really is just clearly just not ready for uh, the big lights. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan of Josh Fuentes, uh, and I have heard of Jonathan Daza before he got called up. Um <laughs> but but do I think that those guys are, are ready for everyday roles in the big leagues? Like, no. <laughs> and uh, and Raymel Tapia, I mean, I, he he we could have an entire segment on Raymel Tapia. So, like, you know, I'll just kind of say, you know, maybe he's not an everyday outfielder. Like, maybe he is a fourth outfielder uh, for what, I, you know, for this, that, or the other reason. But when you have that, on your team, like it's, it's hard to be good. And, and yeah, we ran into a Dodgers team that was red hot and they've since cooled off. So like they didn't run away with it. They haven't run away with the division yet. Uh, you know, we ran into a Braves team that was really good last year and looks to be really good this year. Um, and after we faced the, <laughs> after we faced the Padres two games this week, we got, we got a gauntlet of, of tough teams to face. And so, so it, it, it really is a crucial stretch right now, but it's, it's all a matter of getting at least a couple of these guys healthy and back into the lineup. Uh, the, these guys that we were banking on being starters. Yeah, and then, I mean, you add in the fact that the stars on this team haven't been performing either. I mean, if the top of the lineup was really killing it to start the season, they probably could have withstood this, but they got off to slow starts, and that's just just is what it is. Like, um, it, 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 that's, it, that's the way baseball what goes. I'm, what I'm hoping is that, yeah, and I'm, I'm just hoping that they haven't dug themselves such a hole that the margin for error for the rest of the season becomes so small that they don't have enough talent to overcome it. Um 
I don't think we're quite there yet. I mean, I think we're one good week away from, you know, practically being back to 500. <laughs> um, you know, I think this team's perfectly capable of winning seven or eight in a row in May or something. And, and we'll be back to 500. And basically if you're on 500 going to the all-star break, you're fine. Right. Like that's, that's where they need to kind of be aiming. So. Well, if I remember correctly, Chris Ionetta said something kind of like that last year, you know, you just got to play 500 ball and go on a little streak here and there and, then you're fine. I mean, everybody's going to have bad stretches. Everybody's going to have good stretches. You just got to play, you know, right around 500 and get hot at the right time. I mean, again, you know, like the, the Diamondbacks last year were in first place. I'm pretty sure for like a hundred out of 162 games, they had a really crappy May and then they forgot how to play baseball in September and kind of washed themselves out of the playoffs. So it's one of those things you just gotta, you gotta get hot at the right time, you know, and the Rockies historically have come out of the gates swinging and so maybe this year is it's kind of good that they're starting off slow and they'll get hotter in May and June and kind of make a run at that point. Yeah, lest lest we forget that in 2007 and 2009, they, those two those teams started really, really poorly. Um, and the 2009 team was good from when Jim Tracy took over in May till the end of the season. Uh, the 2007 team, they waited until September, like really <laughs> essentially the last minute uh, to turn it around. We're right, but in 09, they were so bad that they fired Clint Hurdle um, in the middle of the season. So, And they turned that around and made the playoffs that year. So, yeah. And we're not nearly in, into that kind and of predicament see, I, yet. But I, I am a little bit more skeptical than y'all are. Uh, and the big reason for that is, like, I just look at the rest of this league. I think the margin for error isn't so much, like, mm-hmm. dependent on the talent of the Rockies as it is just the talent of the rest of the league. Right. Well, they always they always say, you know, you can't win the division in April, but you can sure lose it. So hopefully hopefully we're not in that point yet. All right. Adam, Nick, thank you for playing along with us on our first fill in the blank segment. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Thanks, y'all. It was fun. So, uh, upcoming games, we've got two against the Padres tomorrow and Tuesday, then an off day on Wednesday, travel day back for the Rockies play four against the Phillies. I will be there Saturday night and then three against the Nationals before going out to Atlanta and Milwaukee. So how can we watch those games, Ben? Uh, both of your Padres games are going to be on ATT Sportsnet Rocky Mountain or on KOA 850 AM 94.1 FM. Or on, uh, if you're in the San Diego area, it's going to be on Fox Sports San Diego. Perfect. And then what about some of the other games? Uh, Phillies coming up are also going to be on ATT Sportsnet. Um, the 19th versus the Phillies is going to be a Facebook watch game where you can watch for free on Facebook. Also, it's, it's still on ATT, uh, Sportsnet Rocky Mountain as well. So I know I'm personally not a huge fan of those Facebook watch games from last season. So there still is a traditional way to watch as well. Perfect. And then he's Ben Kuchnerkovic. I am Sam Bradfield, and this is Affected by Altitude. You can follow us on Twitter at, uh, he's at B. Kuchnerkovich. I'm at Sammy B underscore 27. The podcast is at Altitude Effect with an E. And you can also follow us at Purple Row. All right. Thank you for tuning in.
Have a good night, everybody.